0: my money
1: money i get money from you money in the bank young money 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 my dad it's the rich man's blood i'm as mad as hell
0: and i'm not gonna take this anymore
1: world-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author barry james dyke will arm you with the truth this is the economic warrior Please note the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. And good morning or good afternoon, everybody. Happy Halloween uh, to uh, Handsome Phil and uh, my sidekick Will Pierce. Uh, and the happy Halloween to you as well, Barry. Yeah. And uh, but, uh, yeah, so we have a great guest with us uh, the this uh, this morning or this afternoon. they are going to have Chris Toby. He was just on um, uh, PBS. CBS, yeah. Uh, The pension gamble and um, he's a a whistleblower for pension plans and uh, happy Halloween to you and uh, it's kind of a a freaky show we have today but uh, thank you so much for uh, uh, being on the show and we want to talk about uh, you know your research uh, in Kentucky Fried Pensions and the big pension gamble because last week you you came to my attention because you're one of the stars of the pension gamble show and uh, um, so first of all Chris could you just please tell our audience a little bit about your background and uh, how you became a trustee of the Kentucky Fried Pension, if you will. And um, uh, just give us a background.
0: Yeah, I have a long long career, uh, mostly in the private sector and investments and worked in banks for the first 10 years of my career. And then in in the late 90s, I was hired by the Kentucky State Auditor to look at the pensions for the first time. This is an in 1998. So I wrote the first critical thing on our pensions in in Kentucky well over 20 years ago. I worked for the auditor for three years and went back into the private sector for a while and then after uh, uh, about seven or eight years later I was put on the retirement board um, uh, appointed by the governor to serve four years on the Kentucky Retirement Systems Board and there I was a you know a constant critic and then uh, was basically forced off the board, and then I uh, became an SEC whistleblower on all the things we found. I found there, and then eventually wrote my book, uh, Kentucky Fried Pensions. And I've been doing consulting uh, for public pensions and and for legal cases involving public pensions um, ever since.
1: Okay, so so. The thing is we want to talk about, state Kentucky, because Kentucky is kind of like the canary in the coal mine, and I'm, you know, it's, it's uh, but it, it's horribly funded, like 33% to 34%. Chris, could you could you explain to our audience uh, what kind of uh, shape they're in and how it could be a harbinger of things to come?
0: Uh, Kentucky is, is um, you know, 33% is kind of an overall average of all the plans. The Actually, the one for state workers, which I was on the board at, on is about uh, 11% funded. So it's by far <laughs> the worst in the country. Whereas <sighs> the others are more 30 and 40. So uh, they, it, it's a combination of factors that, that got Kentucky in this. Mostly it was um, not making the uh, actual required contributions. Um, again, uh, there are you know uh, underperforming investments as well. And it and, and depends on your political view some people thought that some, you know, excess benefits were given out, uh, over, over the years as well. So there's just a lot of, of different factors, um, uh, going on, but it's mostly, mostly, uh, the majority was, uh, to do with underfunding and, and other poor management decisions.
1: Yeah. So there was a great article, by the way, done on, on the intercept. And I tell people to Google that, uh, done by Gary Rivlin, who's actually been on the show. He's a great, uh, reporter and, uh, uh, yeah, Gary
0: did a series of three articles: one on pensions overall, then one on Kentucky, and one on Illinois, all uh, mm-hmm. last week. And they really get into the investments. The PBS Frontline, you know, again, that's television. And the and a screaming teacher's made better TV than a talking head like me talking about investments. So my time, you know, you could they didn't you couldn't dig deep, dig deep into it on TV like uh, Gary Rivlin did. In this, in these articles, and I really suggest people to take a look at those. Did a great job, David Sirota also does a lot of good work in this area. You can look him up um, uh, again on this pension uh, investment. Things that are
1: going on in this country. Yeah, and I also I forwarded your your uh, e- email information to a, fr- a friend of ours who has been on the show. A guy by the name of Steve Church uh, up mm-hmm. here in uh, New Hampshire. Uh, chris you'd like him. I call me. He's a recovering actuary and just a very bright guy, and uh, he's got some great numbers. So uh, he'll be. He's a numbers guy on on this stuff. But um, but what what kind of freaked me out is that and Gary Rivlin's article. He, you had the uh, the the board of trustees, and there was a, you were the only guy who knew anything really about investments on, on the board. Am I correct, it, Chris? Yeah, that's correct. Uh,
0: and, and again, but I don't want to overemphasize that because even even uh, even boards who have some uh, investment knowledge, if they're not independent and they're doing things for their friends, it isn't a good uh, a good thing. So I was the only independent. I was the only person of any investment expertise on the investment committee. And then after I started asking too many questions, I was kicked off the investment committee, then put back on, and then eventually was not uh, named to a second term.
1: Yeah, so they kicked you off the island for telling the truth. Is that kind of simple as put?
0: Yeah, pretty much for asking too many questions about uh, pretty much high fee investments. Fees are. Fees are what's really driving uh, a lot of the stuff in public pensions. People in uh, PBS trying to make this a theme and other people have that, you know, trustees are reaching for a return. And again, that's the official reason that, you know, that's the surface reason um, that, that uh, these private equity and hedge funds are being used. But under underlying it, I think, these excessive fees, hundreds of millions in secret no-bid contracts that there are, especially since citizens united a lot of these uh wall street firms are finding ways to enrich uh, politicians
1: yeah and um the thing is is the uh well you know the numbers and i've been following this i i guess the uh university of uh maryland did a study and i uh, on this or, or uh, state of uh, maryland did it that overall chris is that the um, the, the placement of alternative investments, we're talking when, uh, and uh, which are like private equity, hedge funds, commodities, distressed debt, that type of thing, have grown from uh, from 6% of plant assets in 2008 to like 26%. And I think, was it Kentucky's up to like 29%? Is, am I correct or? Yeah,
0: that's correct. And, and that study was done by Jeff Hook, who is a Maryland guy who's done some very good work in that area. And uh, again, it, I don't think it's any coincidence that this explosion, and mostly private equity and hedge funds, coincide with uh, Citizens United, and then we have three private equity governors uh, now, and a hedge fund governor in Kentucky.
1: Yeah, so now, has, has Mitt Romney been elected yet? Or is it, we, People in Utah say he's pretty much uh, a shoe in so you got him... Oh, and no, no,
0: that, that's not, that's not counting that the private equity Mitt Romney. This is the... Uh, Bruce Rauner, the private equity oh, governor of Illinois. Right, Illinois. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Baker, Charlie Baker, the private equity governor of Massachusetts. And Gina Raimondo, the private equity governor of Rhode Island.
1: And what about the... the three. And the guy from Kentucky, he's a hedgy, isn't he? Yeah, he's got hedge fund, Yeah. <laughs> So you know, it's just, uh, and then uh, even Illinois uh, now. No, I guess it's it's one private equity guy fighting another. Who is uh, It's Rounder uh, for re-election versus Prisker, the Prisker family, which is probably one of the wealthiest families in, in America. Yeah,
0: I think he inherited most of his. He wasn't. He didn't make it off of public pensions like Rounder did. But He yes. inherited. I think uh, his is the highest. I the highest
1: hotel fortune. Yeah. Yes, but they got. A, that's that even event. So. They made a lot of the money in leveraged finance, but maybe not towards the from pension funds. But so one of the problems is these companies, these states, if you will, have been skipping uh, 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 actuarially required contributions. Could you explain to our audience how important they are and, and, and what what they are and uh, what, what's the history with Kentucky on those?
0: Well, one thing to remember is that the uh, public the pension rules for federal government are up the Department of Labor and ERISA laws that make sure corporate pensions make their actuarially required contributions, Uh, public pensions exempted themselves from that because they said, we're responsible government people, we don't need anybody to regulate. Uh, So that was the beginning, and then what happened is that if states wanted to, uh, basically it became a backwards way of borrowing. Uh, deficit. Most state members, most state budgets are are supposed to be balanced. They have balanced budgets. But what we had in Kentucky is that we had them underfunding the pensions by one billion a year, which is the equivalent of borrowing one billion on credit cards. Because your rate of your your uh, your uh, interest rate on this is the assumed rate of return on the pensions. So it's it was like it's like borrowing on on credit cards, and so. These, these legislators, when they when they couldn't do, they supposedly would say they had a balanced budget, but in reality were borrowing from the pensions at a very high rate.
1: Yeah, and then they started getting into another exotic investment, which were they called pension bonds? Do, uh, could you tell people what they were doing sometimes when they ran into this problem?
0: Pension, obliga- p- pension obligation bonds, or POBs are a basically a way to shift the debt uh it's that same debt that uh they were you know putting in the underfunding of the pension and shifted off on into a bond form now the irs does not buy the fact that you can issue debt to cover debt so the irs does not allow it to be tax deductible so unlike other municipal bonds which you don't have to pay federal taxes on pension obligation bonds are taxable municipals which mean it costs the the state Quite a bit more to issue them, and in Kentucky we had a secret pension obligation bond they didn't even tell anybody about, of seven hundred million that they kind of hid in some other legislation uh, back in two thousand eleven. I didn't even know about it. I found out about it a couple years after it happened, and I was right in the middle of the pension um, issue and did not even figure it out until about a year afterwards. And I broke it uh, to our media.
1: Wow! So I didn't even know that. So, so. Kentucky had outstanding um, uh, pension obligation bonds of seven hundred. I mean, how do you hide seven hundred million dollars in debt, uh, Chris? I don't know.
0: Well, they said it was part of this reti- retiree health. It was a, with the teachers' retirement, which is very big. It was it was said we were we were doing this kind of stuff to refix the health plan because they had stolen money from the retire. Because remember, uh, a lot of times in public. They're not only public pensions, but they provide health care for retirees. So there's another supplementary retiree health plan. And in Kentucky, they had stolen money from the health plan uh, to prop up the pension plan and the teachers. And so they had to put it back, and people thought they were borrowing for that, but they really had called it, they, they borrowed more, borrowed it, and, and hid the fact they had issued $700 million pension obligation bond. So, well, that- you, can, you know, when you have media who are not, smart enough or don't ask enough questions and you know you got a culture of cover-up and corruption like we have in states like in kentucky and illinois you get these type of things that happen
1: now one of the things which I me and i saw i saw you on the pbs special and it was good but i you know there's only so much you can say in an hour uh chris and and i i always i think they kind of danced around uh you know the issue of the you know the private equity firms, the hedge funds, and in, involvement, and and are are you? Are, is this getting you? You getting more calls from people like me about this problem because they get on TV? Because I most people, if I I have friends who are, are teachers and police people and so forth, are friends, and when I start talking about this stuff, they get really kind of um, angry with me or whatever, and uh, they really they're really kind of uninformed. Although, are people becoming more aware how bad this problem really is?
0: Well, I think, I think some of are becoming aware, but even the, you know, the, the teacher's union the people who control these pensions are, I think, are raising money off of it. So they're actually fighting uh, transparency. I've seen some of these uh, unions and things fighting transparency on investments and on these private equity and hedge funds, because I think they, you know, they may be somehow benefiting or raising money from those, uh, those as well.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I mean,
0: there's a lot of, there's a lot of money out of, you know, in Kentucky alone, it's 200 million a year being paid out in fees, these Wall Street firms and secret no-bid contracts. Many of these contracts are offshore. They're in these, uh, you know, that, you know, it's not stocks and bonds, you know, for now 30% of the investments. These are investments where you send $30 million to the Caymans and you don't know, and you, I guess, hope it comes back someday. Uh, no regulation the private equity hedge funds to a point you can at least get the performance numbers because they're made up of underlying securities most of the time But private equity uh, they allow accounting that allows the private equity firms to value their own um, holdings they basically make up their own investment performance
1: yeah and no, that, they can value them at a cost, too, Chris. In other words, if I own a security, say like, General Electric, you know, it's, it, I have to market to market, you know, it, uh, and if it's 10 bucks a share, which it is, um, I have to market, but with private equity, if they invest $20 million, they don't really have to even report the results for, for a number of years, am I correct?
0: Well, they usually come up with an estimate every 12 months, but it seems to be it's whatever they want it to be because they make it up, it's, mar- it's marked to mark to miss or mark to make believe or whatever you want to call it (laughs) uh
1: uh,
0: so it's whatever they want it to be and you know when the markets are down it tends to go down less than the market well so you know when they do these modeling investment modeling as you well know it makes private equity appear not only to be um uh uh, you know uh, higher returns because they make up the returns but, but less risk because that's lower standard deviation because they smooth the returns. Again, this is something that Madoff did, um, you know, for years, and Madoff looked like one of the more conservative, solid investors because he made up his performance.
1: So this is what I've noticed since the financial crisis which began in 2007, 2008, and I, I know this is another one coming. I just don't know when, Chris. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, but in any event, so what happened because these. These, these plans like Kentucky and, and, and most of these plans all of them actually they got hammered in 1999, 2000 2007 2008. So they started to reach for yield for their search of yield so they really piled on um, in, in, in 2000 that era. after that time Chris am I correct?
0: yeah this it's a couple it's three or four different ways. you know Treasury yields at two percent you know during most of this period. And when you have a you know required rate of return, you're looking at your fixed income, 4 and 5%. So they stretched in, in, in probably four or five different ways. The equity allocations became higher. Yep. Private equity became higher. Hedge funds came higher. And even their fixed income, they started doing hedge fund-like products in their fixed income, which were basically fixed income-based hedge funds that were highly leveraged. And then private debt, which is kind of a... You know, a hybrid between uh, private equity and uh, fixed income. So we're seeing a huge growth in another, in another asset class called Real Assets. So they have made a lot of these other investments that uh, typical old fashioned fixed income is less than 10 or 20% of most of these portfolios now because they've loaded up with these, even their debt, even the things they call fixed income are really leveraged hedge fund, private type of entities,
1: very happy, very uh, low liquidity uh, type of instruments. Yeah, and you know, I've been wor- working and researching a book on private equity, Chris, and you mentioned in the Gary Riverland article that, and you're, you're familiar, with. I even know there's so many private equity firms now, but you, you're, the, Kentucky made a substantial investment with, with Crestview Partners, and mm-hmm. are, you, are you familiar with them, Chris?
0: A little bit, a little I, don't, bit. I, don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not real familiar, but I know the name and, and know they're one of the bigger players.
1: Okay, so let me just kind of walk you down the street here, because I just because I've been researching private equity. But Crestview, in 2010, this is actually when they get a good chunk of slug of money from Kentucky. Uh, they yep. bought into. <laughs> you, you could make this stuff up, Chris. You really couldn't. Uh, they bought uh, uh, participated in the. Uh, uh, Purchasing twenty five percent of Cumulus Media, the radio station, conglomerate, uh, yeah. if you will, and uh, and w- w- which is just uh, and then um, and then uh, Crestview purchased uh, added more equity. And now, my point is they're getting this from Kentucky and other state pension funds. Okay, and then yeah, it, I, I
0: actually wrote a little chapter on this in the um, in my first two thousand thirteen Kentucky five pensions about about the media. And maybe even controlling the media of twelve stations in Kentucky through kind of an insider deal. There, that the actually some of the stations were actually bought in Kentucky right after uh, uh, KRS invested with Crestview. Then they then they took out at a very high price a number of Kentucky stations.
1: And then after that, Chris, they bought Citadel Broadcasting, which was another leverage bio, which had gone bankrupt. Okay, I you couldn't make this stuff up. And then um they point a new ceo mary Berner, who was the ceo of reader's digest when they went bankrupt over leveraged buyout and then and then um uh my point is that then cumulus media which is the second largest uh radio uh conglomerate in the country went bankrupt uh late last year or early this year i can't remember make a long story short so, Crestview got a lot of this money from Kentucky. They end up buying Cumulus and then Citadel, which had gone bankrupt. They have a CEO who ran another bankrupt uh, leveraged by our company, and they just went bankrupt. Is anyone following the money, Chris?
0: Oh, no. I, I think Crestview is probably one of our better-run private equity partners. <laughs> oh, Camelot, uh, Camelot is the guy who went to prison, and, and we're still talking about that. There are three yeah. of, other ones have been cited at the SEC, Blackstone, they are for most of them are taking excessive fees and expenses out. So, Crestview, I thought, was one of the better ones until I guess you told me this, but again, they still may be. Uh, we don't know. We, know. we know that some of these uh, school teachers are investing in uh, private equity firms and by charter schools, which they supposedly don't like. We've got all kinds of stuff going on, but no one wants to look under the hood here um, at, at any of these uh, partnerships uh, or anything that's going on here uh, because these people are making a lot of people are making a lot of money. And I think a lot of palms are being greased,
1: which gets me to the, to the thing about placement agents. Okay. Uh, which Kentucky Mm -hmm. is neck deep into, and not only uh, was they deep in Kentucky, but in California, Illinois, New York, could you please explain to people what placement agents are and how, how much they get paid? Well,
0: placement agents are pretty much gone now. Um, not because the corruption's gone, because I think because of Citizens United, they're no longer needed anymore. Um, for before pre-Citizens United, which allows almost a free, unlimited campaign donations uh, back and forth between um, uh, super in super PACs and things in Wall Street, uh, you had to Wall Street firms had to pay placement agents, who then found ways to launder quote money to get into campaigns in in states uh we had one in kentucky was paid over uh, six million dollars i as a trustee didn't even know who he was was not allowed i was told by own, our own staff that we didn't have placement agents and they were around all the time uh so there are a lot there was a lot of, of things but the but the issue the, the funny thing is everybody even at uh, PS making a big deal on placement agents, so they really have almost been non-existent for five years, uh, because citizens United has really eliminated the need for an extra middleman. Cause you had for these guys to launder the money, you did have to pay them, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. So they've kind of been eliminated, uh, from the process.
1: But yeah, you know, so they've gone away, but Gary Rivlin mentioned in, in his article, uh, Chris, that, uh, I, I guess it was Blackstone, um, that's they still had like six lobbyists in Frankfurt or something like that. Is, is that, or, yeah, That's
0: but that's down from 27.
1: But 27?
0: Uh, yeah, when I did the, 27 lobbyists in a little town of Frankfurt, yeah. Blackstone alone had 27 when I counted them for <laughs> my, my book a couple of years ago.
1: 27 so
0: these, these are executive branch lobbyists, and JKR has got some too. It. Yeah, it's just, um. It, it just really proves what all this stuff's about. See, that's you know th- these guys are kind of replaced the placement agents, those lobbyists directly for the plans are pretty much playing the role that a lot of the placement agents played in the in the past.
1: Wow! But so, but they're saying that all these things. We're getting we're getting returns. So, but you
0: probably have them in New Hampshire as well. You just don't know it. I mean, you know, I know they're all over the place and mess. You know, a lot of the states up there too. But nobody. Nobody's digging hard enough uh, to find her. You've got alternative investments. You've got this stuff going on. And I would imagine you've got it up there in your neck of the woods as well.
1: Uh, I know. I know. I, I know
0: over in Albany, of course, is the it's, of course, the biggest source. But uh, you've got them all. I, w- I would say you've got them in Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Massachusetts. <laughs> I know tons. Rhode Island is, a, is accessible, and so is Connecticut. <laughs> So you've got you've got a, you got plenty of them in your neighborhood.
1: Oh, I know we do it, and in New York was, uh, oh, they it was the in uh, California. I mean, I do you know? Did, I know about the uh, the one in California with Calpers, which was the uh, 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 Villabos and Buenos Street Do you remember that judge? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. They went to jail. and one, One's
0: dead now. I mean, they, they both went to prison for a while. Our one. Or one One died before he got to prison. I forgot, you know,
1: but, uh,
0: oh, yeah, they were pretty well known, but it doesn't stop them. The California are still doing the same stuff out in CalPERS. It hadn't slowed them down a bit.
1: Really? So, so, yes.
0: Blackstone Blackstone spent $2 million out in California to, they were going to have legislation that would have prevented, I think, would have outlawed some of these placement agencies and some of this disclosure stuff. They spent over $2 million
1: lobbying in California. You know, and it's just uh, people... Uh, but let me ask you, do you think people's knowledge of this stuff is... I mean, this guys like you and me, we're kind of, I'm a kind of nerd about this, but do you think the, the public awareness has gone up at all, Chris? I mean, this is kind of discouraging, but um, what do it, you think? It,
0: it had not gone... It, well, it, it, you know, it goes a little bit, maybe, but not much. I'm finding that people are really... Oh, well, what has happened is that the people who are most engaged in the pension are, you know, are the people getting the benefits yeah. and to them, you know, they don't care as long as they get their benefit check. They don't care if someone's skimming millions off cause it mostly is screwing taxpayers. It's beginning defined defined benefit plan. This technically screws taxpayers, not the beneficiaries. Yeah, And so the beneficiaries are the ones that are having the, so they'll micromanage everything to do with benefits, but they kind of look look the other way at the investments and the things going on there because they're guaranteed their benefit no matter what.
1: And, uh, but that's, you know, and this is, I don't know. So, uh, but I was roughly 80, 90% of, uh, mostly, most public plan, pension plans still have the defined benefit model, which is a guaranteed income for life. Uh, correct. Is, is that correct, Chris?
0: Yeah, almost every, I mean, everyone, I mean, some people have discontinued it for new employees like Michigan, and I think maybe one other state, but they still have huge plans around. They're all around. They're huge honeypots for politicians is what they become.
1: And it's it's and it's a huge pool of capital for 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 Wall Street, isn't it? I mean, it's just like Willie Sutton said: Why do I rob banks? Because that's where the money is. Am I correct?
0: That's right, and that's and again. This is why people don't get in state. Um, you know, people are so concentrated on what's going on in the federal government. This is the big pots of money in the state government. The Wall Street has really found its uh, put its hooks into.
1: Yeah, and and the whole thing is, is and as I say, I connected with my friend Steve Church, but you know what? I, and I've done the, my own informal studies, uh, uh, Chris, and but uh, the, 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 the actuary kind of verified that is that um, long range investment returns are they pretty much uh, mirror thirty year treasuries, Chris? I mean, within ten, fifteen, maybe fifty basis points. So I don't know what a thirty year treasury is now four percent or is uh, that that high and um so no, sorry,
0: that I don't think so three, it, uh, three and a half. Yes, yeah.
1: yeah, three and a half. And and so I don't know. What, what's the average assumed rate of return now in a pension plan, Chris, uh, and 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 the public sector? Uh, it's
0: probably seven and a quarter, maybe. It's been going down. It was over seven and a half. It's probably maybe seven and a half quarter now. Um, but the trouble is, what does that really mean? And it becomes very political. And the, the reason why Repu- Republicans, the, the Democratic establishment, is against lowering these rates is because they feel that Republicans are doing it to kind of bankrupt the pensions themselves. Make them appear so bad that you have to go and solve it and then cut benefits. Yeah. For, remember, for the, for the, I guess, more liberal Democratic side, it's all about the benefits but for the other side, it's all about cutting the benefits. Yeah. And these are all seen as games to game the politics of whether to cut or not cut benefits. So it's the politics is all done within that framework. And so the investment return is just one of the games. So if you don't, if you lower the investment return assumption, it means the actuarial required contribution gets higher. Yeah. So what we've seen in Kentucky is they what they've done is they've, they've raised, done that. But what the, the municipalities have done and the states have done in response was to cut headcount of, of current employees. Uh-huh. So then you have fewer employees paying in to support more retirees. So the big thing that happened when you do it this way, the five benefit plans are, are designed to work with governments that are, Steady or growing at the rate of the population of a state. Yeah. In Kentucky, we saw government employees cut from forty five to thirty four thousand. Okay. That's another reason why, when they, when even when they made the pay, when they're cutting, when you cut headcount payroll, they create what I've called pension orphans, which these are positions that no longer have an active person providing cash flow into the supporting the retiree. So as you do that, you create this. The issue has become is that states can, the only way to cut a pension benefit, earn pension benefit of little old a teacher or policeman or fireman, has been the chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 9, uh, municipal bankruptcy laws. And in Detroit, when they, did, when they filed for bankruptcy, pensioners got 95 cents on the dollar, bondholders got 30 cents on the dollar. Now, Republic, Republicans have tried to switch that in Rhode Island, where the bondholders would go in front of the pension holders in a bankruptcy. Okay. What we've had happen in Kentucky is they've tried to force the some of the liability off of the state onto entities like school districts, and this is what Rounder tried to do in Illinois, school districts and city and counties, which can be forced into bankruptcy. So some people are seeing that, you know, I think there's an underlying, also a whole structural government thing going on here with pushing, pushing municipalities, school districts into bankruptcy as well. So that's another big dynamic that's going on here behind the scenes.
1: This a, now, another question is that, um, and so everyone makes money on this is the, 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 pensioners make money wall street makes money on this. It's, um, uh, it's, uh,
0: the taxpayers
1: are all getting hosed here and, and it's it, the, the taxpayers are getting hosed and this is exactly what happened in 2007 2008 um i don't know would you agree chris that i mean it's uh, the, the seems to be more of the same
0: no i, I think as far as two thousand the pinches are far worse shaped now than they were in 2007 2008 i think it's different i mean i think it's, it's bad. 2000 2008 i mean Kentucky pensions were in, were in pretty good shape. And most of the time, these people have over-exaggerated, in Kentucky especially, Kentucky sit there and going, oh, this is all because of the Great Recession and the dot-com dot crash in 2008, and we're 13% funded, but other states that went through the same markets, like Tennessee, are 80 and 90% funded. So... You know, the blaming it on the invest on the you know normal crashes up and down the market, I think basically are, are mostly BS. Okay. I think it's I think it's um, and again we're going to have a crash here, but the problem is going to become and I think stocks are, are pro- appropriate even up to sixty seven you know percent yep. of these, yep. in these portfolios because of the long term returns and the ups and downs. But it's all these when if the crap hits the fan, it's all these illiquid investments that you have that you a that aren't worth what you even think they are. Um, and so the big problem is in a bad what we call an insurance role a tail risk environment. Yep. These private equity and private debt portfolios may be worth seventy five cents in the dollar of what they claim they are. Yes, sir. because they're they're not marked to market in it. In a in a bad scenario and if you need cash at the worst times which is probably when you're going to need it you'll have the forced liquidation of these things at at pennies on the dollar and that's when the whole thing that's the da- much bigger danger here in 2000 2008 when you had liquid investments going on yeah you don't have a liquidity crisis this is more like what happened to the layman you know to to the some of the banks who've had things all tied up. Uh, during the crash, because they weren't liquid enough.
1: Yeah, that was the problem with yeah. Lehman Brothers. It, it was liquidity, wasn't it? I mean, they. It was just yeah,
0: I mean that's so, so. You've got a liquidity problem with the, the pensions now that we did not have in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Yeah, because and then we have wor- worse funded pensions to start with, and and they've created their own liquidity problems. So you got you got you got you got much worse situation.
1: So no, I have another question for you, you know, Chris, because I understand it, the the general partners are the the private equity or the hedge funds, okay, and the LPs or limited partners are the uh, are the limited partners. They actually the 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 investors in these things. Um, mm-hmm. but, but could you tell? Um, uh, would, a, would a typical, like, say, Kentucky gets into a, uh, a commitment with KKR or Blackstone or someone like that, or Cresby or whatever, isn't the money locked up in a limited partner agreement generally for five to ten? I've uh, heard sometimes as long as 15 years.
0: Well, we, we don't know. As a trustee, I wasn't even allowed to see the contract.
1: You're it's kidding me. Secret. No, I'm not
0: kidding. We're not allowed to see the contract what? it's all secret to we don't know the fees we don't know anything. We're just black boxes that we send 20 thirty million dollars to them and let them go with it. there we're not uh, the uh, the contracts are too secret for the the trustees to see the state auditor to see all right and this is nationwide. so I've been fighting for contract disclosure and got that into law in Kentucky just uh, a year ago. And but the retirement systems are refusing. They're just break, outright like breaking the law because they're captive by the private equity industry. So that's what's going on this this you know just this week um, uh, articles out about how they were the they only um, uh, they were supposed to disclose every contract on the website, but then they allowed them to be redacted. So they were redacting ninety percent of these contracts. They're basically black. Polls, that, you know, uh, they're redacting the, chain, the table of contents and then not disclosing the rest. So there's no disclosure. Uh, they're all breaking the new state disclosure laws, but no one will enforce it because these private equity guys have so much juice.
1: Wow! So I never knew that. I mean, so so as a, when you're a trustee of the uh, KRS, okay, okay. As a trustee, when you're a trustee, you're, you're looking at the whole thing. Um, um, you were not allowed. to to look at the limited partners agreement as to how long the lock of a period of the money was.
0: Correct. And well, that really, there's not, there's not, I, I've, I've seen some of them because I got some through discovery yeah. via, um, um, via my sec, uh, whistleblower. Uh, and there really isn't a lockup. It's just, they could last forever. They could be 30 years. And one of the, the uh, one, the, if they can't sell one of the investments in them, but again, where these private equity partners just will pay out parts of it. So, they can be thirty million, then they'll go up to thirty-five million in value. Then they'll sell off a couple things and give you back principal and pieces back. So after ten, after fifteen years, you may have seventy-five percent of your money back, and twenty-five percent that, that stays on for the next twenty years. You just don't know.
1: Yeah, There's no limits on them. They're no zombies. But uh, my sidekick, Will Pierce, has a. Uh question for you uh, Chris so if you can chime in here yeah hi Chris um, I got a couple of questions for you um, why don't uh, do these um, pension funds invest locally or is there any pressure to invest locally in in their own state
0: there have been over the years and um, and again I think there have been some uh, you know private equity but, you know they those have been rife with political corruption Mississippi had one got invested, got FBI politicians get involved give money to their relatives, give money to things. Uh, Typically, uh, and there are in some states, some in-state venture capital funds and different things like that, but they have been actually, um, or people have found more corruption in those than they have in the other ones. Because people are local and they know who these people are, so they're usually spotted when these sweetheart deals are given because everything's so close and local, the political the political opponents of whoever is cutting the deal will point it out. So they tend to um I think that the Wall Street ones are just as corrupt as this that no one can find no one no one figures out what's going on in them. Yeah. I mean that's my, my take. But there over the years there's been a lot of pressure to do that continuously in Kentucky as well. Nothing wrong with it as long as it's transparent and and yeah. uh you know uh people are being accountable but they have a hard time with that. Chris what's it like being a whistleblower and uh, was you, I mean, did you have faith in the F- SEC to uh take your case and what's, well, it, what's it like they, personally they didn't really do anything with it yeah. um uh I really was disappointed with them they they took it they took they they actually flew a lot of the people at the retirement systems up to New York and investigate them but in the end they really don't do anything they find uh a lot of these private equity managers they'll find them five ten million million a million dollars here a million dollars there but they continue in their illegal stuff they do all the time so i think the sec has has been fairly fairly useless once in a while they'll do a good whistleblower complaint or or they'll pay off a decent whistleblower complaint but i think about 95 percent of them they only pay off in the most egregious ones most of the other ones they pretty much just let go Chris what's it like to be a whistleblower I mean you're a trustee you're in this room with all these other people you want to get along with them but then uh you're kind of not with the program I mean they all dislike me for answering asking questions before that um I think I got some pressure from you know from job stuff I had people pressuring people I worked with threatening them um I um I mean this is big time when you do this stuff you're not very well liked um it was uh, it was not easy to go to those meetings when you know everybody. Most people in the room hated your guts.
1: Well, well, thank you for uh, uh, for doing it for well, standing up well, for the people in well, Kentucky. Well, thank you, uh, Chris. This has been the Economic Warrior with your host Barry James Dyke, broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio, engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?